0: Hi, it's Vincent here. Join me in person when this climate business goes live during the Auckland Climate Festival. I will be hosting a panel on September 29 and you're invited to be part of the show Special guests include James Shaw the Climate Change Minister Sophie Hanford, the founder of School Strike for Climate and you! We'll be taking questions from the floor and there might even be some food and drink So that's September 29 at KPMG in the Viaduct in Auckland Visit thisclimatebusiness.com to register, but do it now because let's face it, tickets are limited. And now on with the show Cornell Tukiri is the senior Māori advisor to Tātaki Auckland Unlimited and also for Climate Connect Aotearoa, a climate action accelerator by Tātaki Auckland Unlimited and Cornell recently launched Tikiti Mātauranga, a resource for climate and community leaders to learn more about Māori approaches to climate change and regenerative practices. He's a photojournalist and a highly competent interviewer, himself done a whole lot of podcasts, and now you're in the hot seat, Cornell. <laughs> <laughs> I get to ask the questions. So I'm going to talk to you about Tikiti and about the kopapa of your overall work. But uh, first of all, welcome to this climate
1: business. Uh, Vincent, te koe ehoa.
0: Kia ora. Uh, ki ora. and welcome. Thanks for joining us. So uh, tell us about Te Kete Mataranga. Uh It's a really, it's sounding like the beginning of a of a resource kit for Māori, but not just for Māori, right, for anyone active in the climate space.
1: Yeah, uh, He Kete Matauranga is a, uh, a new space that we've recently launched, as you've mentioned, um, that really, I guess, puts to the fore some ideas around climate from a Māori perspective. Um, You know, we are intrinsically connected to our lands uh, as Māori, as first uh, peoples here in Aotearoa. So we have a lot of knowledge uh, in this space around, um, not just climate I suppose, but around how things move, how things work, how things uh, have affected us in the past Mm. and new things that have come into our world that have changed those things as well. So um, all that thinking around climate, around our world, uh, Maori have a view. Uh, Maori have ways that we've interacted with uh, with it in the past, and we hope that some of that mātauranga comes out uh, for people to to take take a look at it and go, "Hey, we can really incorporate some of those ideas in mm-hmm. how we conduct ourselves."
0: Oh, there's so much there to learn and um, um, that has relevance I, I, I was struck by one of the interviews you did with um, Te Huiya Taylor from Um and she told this story which was quite arresting of um, Mayor Goff at the time inviting Iwi leaders to come and join him in announcing a climate emergency and he was surprised that they declined or at least some of them did and the reason was, uh, was because th- there was kind of justifiable anger to say, well, you've only just discovered this emergency. <laughs> you know, we've been in an emergency for a long time and um, suddenly you, you're awake to it. It was a very arresting comment, I thought.
1: Yeah, and it was. And, you know, we as a team got to go out there to speak with and listen uh, to to Huia Taylor from uh, Ngāti Te Waiohua, which is the um, the iwi that occupies that space, that whenua. On the Arfie Two Peninsula there, and um, yeah, the corridor the that she came up with around um, us being in this uh, climate emergency for a long time um, really struck with me as well because I think I really felt the emotion and, and within her corridor, what what she was saying was that um, her grandparents and have spoken of the changes that they had seen within the, within their world, and that was you know, 40, 50 years ago hmm. that um, they knew what was happening, but only now that when it starts affecting a wider uh, body of people or it becomes something that um, uh, that we really have got to a point where there has to be an emergency declared, it's like, well, actually, we've been talking about this emergency. For um, a long time, yeah. Yeah, how come
0: this hasn't been actually brought up before? Yeah. And the emergency is, is not just climate, and that's kind of another element of the... Philosophy or the approach of you know climate is just one of the signals of this breakdown and connection mm. with natural systems, right? And and just to focus on climate and particularly focus on cli- on carbon seems like you're missing the point. That's kind of one of the insights I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's that concept of the in- interconnectedness of what we how we see the world as Maori. I mean, there isn't one Maori worldview, but there is uh, sort of general principles that we can look to. So, for example, whakapapa, or um, some people may call it genealogy, but it's not just genealogy. Whakapapa means the connectedness of you as a person today to your ancestors um, and you taking on that, that information that's being passed down through mm. um, oral stories that we have uh, around the land. Uh, they may be um, stories that are of, um, say, another world, but what they have, those concepts within them, are very important to how we form our view and how we say, well, that particular part of the beach is like that because a tanifa was having a battle or having um, was involved in a certain aspect of the of the land over there. That's created that uh, out output for water, for example. Mm-hmm. So if we mess with that output for water, those stories tell us that there may have been some drownings there, or there may have been some uh, an area that's very rough for boats or for waka. So they were telling us ages ago that that place is not suitable for swimming or not suitable for collecting kai or not suitable for having a sewage pipe out there or swimming. So, you know, we have these um, tohu or um, signs or signals that mm. we have been given and passed on to us um, from our ancestors that tell us about areas of land. Um not just the interconnectedness of the past, but that interconnectedness does work in the future too. Mm. So I'm trying to make decisions today that based on those ancestors that have taught me to for the future, to plan for the future for my children and their children, so that we are safeguarded in our knowledge, we have it, and we're able to share it as well um, with our future generations to ensure that they are, are,
0: are moving safely and they understand their where they are placed in the world. I think there's such a powerful, you know, in both directions, such a powerful idea um, because the people in the past, they lived so much closer to nature. They lived with natural systems, right? Particularly in a, you know, kind of in a pre-industrial age, they knew weather patterns, they, they knew food sources, they knew over time. And as you say, the, the, the oral stories are the way to pass on that knowledge. Um, I remember hearing uh, an amazing story of uh, an Aboriginal song about a particular piece of land that completely um, reflected changes in um, in a beach coming and going, right back to ice age times. Because you know that those stories are, are, could be as old as forty or sixty thousand years. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly
1: right. I mean those other indigenous, indigenous societies have such rich um, stories that um, connect us to that time, but also um, give us an understanding of the world view, or not just the world view, but actually what the world was. And I think that's really important to mm. give us that information as we move move forward. Same as in, in Maori culture, in our, in our wayata, our traditional wayata called Moateatea, which is our sort of chants, uh, that are very old, some are very old and they have information in the words within the, within the songs themselves that point to issues or point to battles or point to outcomes. Um, they're real um, amazing markers that tell us yeah. a lot of information and, um, and those sorts of stories uh, are
0: just so important to us and how we, how we see things. Can you give us an example of how that might work? And maybe it's from the tikiti itself. Uh, um, is there an example of where the, the sort of Western modern science, pākehā science, um, might be incorporated with traditional Māori knowledge? Absolutely. I mean, um, as
1: we look at uh, so Mātauranga itself is means. It's it's a real hard definition for for one English word, but mm-hmm. it can mean. Um, systems of knowledge or or Māori knowledge systems that um, are passed down or observed or all sorts of different areas. So mātauranga is is that word. Um, And if we look at say what's happened in the past to say our rivers um, where a lot of pollutants may have been sent into rivers um, after confiscation of of land or something after Mm -hmm. say colonisation. Well if, if that, the idea that we wanted to we want to clean that river up from a Māori perspective is based on this concept of Modi, of having everything having a life a life essence or a life force. Mm-hmm. So that we're all, again, it's interconnectedness. So if, if there's a problem with the river, there's a problem with us because we are connected to that river. Yeah, It, it has life within it. It has fish and, and eels and all sorts of things. Um, we can collect um, food as well from the banks of those sorts of rivers. So when we look about... When we look today, um, we have a lot of, um, of our Māori people in um, scientific roles and they are bringing in their mātauranga or world Māori worldview into those roles. And they're going into, into communities to work in both strands so that yeah. we have um, some scientific method that is um, which works for that particular kaupapa or that particular um, problem or issue or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and, it inter- and it can interweave with mātauranga. Um, because sometimes uh, what Professor Dan Hukuroa said to me in one of our interviews that uh, on for Hekete Ranga, he said sometimes we go into um, uh, hapuri Māori or Māori communities and they don't really, un- the, the jargon and, and the wording from science is hard to connect to people on the ground. Well,
0: it's hard for anybody, <laughs> right? I <laughs> yeah. mean, that's kind of one of the challenges. Sorry, yeah.
1: uh, Professor Dan. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, <laughs> what he does is he's able to then Bring in his Maori yeah. um, thinking and and yeah. and, and go well, look. The best way to explain this is about is, is from a Maori perspective. And how do we correct that Maori? We can use elements of scientific Western mm-hmm. scientific method. We can use Mātauranga. We can um, incorporate all those things to create the best model. Because yeah. I think that's what he I got from his quarter or, or his talk with me was he was able to um, say look, um, we sometimes for some people Mātauranga isn't uh, is. Is is a, obviously it's an amazing part of it, but if we do add some mod modernity to that Martodunga, we
0: then we then bring in some real um rich um th- outcomes. that's the joy of it, right? It's it's kind of building on it on its um you know the best of both worlds. Uh, he said actually you mentioned um Dan Hikaroa, he he said something really interesting of um. There's almost a scepticism, amongst some Māori, a skepticism about, about climate change, but not the kind of denialist skepticism that we'd seen, you know, resistance, but a, um, a a little bit like that climate emergency of like, well, it's always been changing. What what are you talking about?
1: Yeah, it's, and it's a, I think he mentioned it being a new term. Um, yes, that, that climate change is a is a is a battle and it's an adversarial thing, and um, and that's what well, he mentions in our in our talk and he said yeah you know like Māori, are, uh, and that actually came out in both with Tahuiya Taylor as well um so she mentioned as well the same thing it's like climate change doesn't necessarily resonate with with Maori communities because yeah. it's seen as something of a of a battle or a, we are against it hmm. whereas actually we're a part of it and that's how we view it we um and if you come down from a d- down to a local level to um Marae or, or an area where they are looking at um, some of these issues around climate, um, they'll be able to tell you what the problem is with the land uh, and be able to tell you what has gone on in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can call it t- climate changes if you want, but f- I think for, I, from what the quarter and what the talks I've been having and the feedback I've been getting is that, um, that those words aren't necessarily
0: the ones <laughs> that, that are used. Um, communicating... Climate change is really nuanced, isn't it? You know, you, you actually have to figure out how to talk about these concepts in the right way to the right audience. And um, I've done a, a little bit of work in the space as a professional kind of comms advisor to people. And, you know, what What resonates for me is, uh, you know, I've got a science background, so the physics really interests me. But it, it turns my family off, you know, as soon as I start talking about, you know, um, uh, even even sort of you know the acronyms you know the ipCC you know that that's the end of the conversation it turns instead to you know who made the sausage rolls
1: yeah exactly and and you know we know that and the universities know that when they do these great research papers uh, and they go into their annual and, and uh, in the the libraries and online and wherever like five people might might be able to actually read it because of how <laughs> yeah. technical some of it could be. Yeah. And so, it does
0: need to be technical, right? That's yeah, not of course. To, yeah, it's, not
1: to diminish what they're doing. It's more so like how do we get those sorts of <clears throat> beautiful nuggets out of that research into yeah. our communities to say this is what we found and, and I think if we adapt and adopt
0: um, this certain way of doing things, it could help us. As we as we can move forward, I will tell you one thing that has really helped me, um, and I feel like such an idiot for saying because it's so obvious. But you know, we talked about the intergenerational perspective that Maori mm. have. So we've you know we've talked about the past, and, and you sort of hinted when, about the future, right? And this idea that you're just one um, kind of person in a long journey, and this idea of being a kind of better ancestor. Such a revelation to me, and I, you know, you know, I actually feel a bit embarrassed that, that it's a <laughs> revelation because it's it's obvious once you get it. But I mean, it's obviously really deep in Indigenous and in Maori culture. So you know, thank you for reminding me. But my question, I suppose, is um, where has that knowledge been lost in my culture? You know, when did I become, and why did I? have this kind of view that I'm the end of history Ah, oh, million dollar question that's a great question I actually haven't had that one before
1: and it's um, I don't know I guess because I've been so entrenched in my my Maori side of my, mm. my world that I haven't really I just I just love the idea of how we see ourselves as part of a bigger picture and that yeah. we are the we are the our ancestors dreams you know we are here Mm-hmm. And we're continuing our, our mahi from what they've sent us through their or through, um, you know, like I go back to where I'm from, which um, is sort of on the west coast of the of the Waikato area, and I talked to a couple of aunties out there, and I said, you know, what what did we do when we you know we've got un- inundation on the coasts here from the sea? What what did we do in the old days? And she said. Well, actually, we had two we had two areas of um, of living. We'd move everyone from the sea into the bush. Right. So the sea would be for the summer, and the bush would be for the winter, where the mm. birds are, uh, where the where you could get a bit warmer in the in the bush, and by the sea got a bit cold, a bit windy in the winter. So we'd move off. Right. So they were already adapting to what they were yeah. seeing in those yeah. days. So,
0: but this idea of you know, like this is it. This is where I live, and and the change is imposed on me is a really unhelpful kind of way to think, isn't it? Yeah. Instead of thinking, well, yeah, you know, the world is changing. I'm going to change with it. Yeah. And um, and for the sake of my children and my children's children, I actually need to adapt with the circumstance. Yeah. And pass on something that's, you know, kind of better for them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um. You know, that's a great question and I think that's something that I probably um, need to think about a bit more, to be honest with you. But I, I just, I feel like the way Indigenous thought and Māori thought around how we
0: see ourselves is, is magic. It's totally magic. And I don't think, uh, like my origins are Dutch and I don't think it's a completely foreign concept to Dutch people and, and I'll give you an example, I interviewed years and years ago as a business journalist and I interviewed this guy called Eric Cortels Altus, hard to say, he was the first CEO of Heineken in mm. New Zealand, I did the, the liquor beat which was a good round <laughs> and um, and I said well what are your plans for New Zealand, you know, as the new boss and he said oh well, this and this and this and that's, that's, this is how it fits into our 100 year plan and I said what? Mm. Heineken has a 100 year plan and he said It must be (laughs) Māori and he said "Yeah, all all Dutch companies have a 100 year plan and it really kind of struck me as amazing because you know in the corporate world you exist quarter to quarter and maybe the furthest you could see out is two years Um, but here was a a company that imagined Mm. itself being around that's that's a company right that was slightly disappointing you know what about a community what about a family what about uh, No
1: that's a great point and I, I and, you know, we talk about planning for hundreds in, of years in advance as Māori as well. And yeah. I think the, the reason, beho- well, one of the reasons I think behind that is because of the changes we've had to endure. So, um, you know, we've all, as you know, Māori have the spiritual connection to land and water and mountains. Um, we say it in our pepeha, it's the first things we say mm. our mountain, our waterways, our waka, mm. you know, all these things. Are, and then we come last as people. Because we see it as such an important part of our yeah. life, of our upbringing, of everything. So, um, and there's fantastic sayings about going back to those places so that you can cleanse yourself or you can be renewed again. Yeah. And those are the, that's wonderful stuff. I love that.
0: Mm.
1: So, when we talk about when Pākehā came to New Zealand, to Aotearoa, and we were, the land was taken, uh, confiscation or through wars or whatever it happened. So, that 500 years planning for me or hundreds of years planning for me, is around safeguarding that for the future. Mm-hmm. So we have that spiritual connection. We have that um, ability to go back to our mountains, our waterways, mm. to ensure that they're clean, that they are um, providing food. Um, and that that's sort of that 500-year that idea. It's like holding on to all that stuff, but also holding on to the spiritual practices, the, the right. connections, yeah. not just the physical, but... Um, or the language that goes with it or the stories that go with it?
0: I reckon one of the uh, benefits of it is it, it encourages patience. So, you know, the kind of corporate world that I spend a lot of my time in, it's, it's bang, move, bang, move, bang, move, bang. Yeah. make decisions, make decisions. And um, sometimes there'll be bad decisions But we've got to move on, got to move on. And actually, you know, bad decisions can have catastrophic consequences, many of which we're enduring now or experiencing now. And I contrast that to some of the conversations I have with iwi leaders, and not not all businesses, right? You know, some businesses are really starting to embrace this idea in communities as well. But um, I remember talking to someone from Nadi Poro, and they said, oh, well, you know, we're going to try this, and we're going to try that. And I said, well, what if you fail? And they said, well, you know, we've been poor before, we'll probably be poor again, but we've got to try these things because we're going to be here. We're not going anywhere. Mm. So we're going to yep. try some things, um, you know, alternatives to forestry, and alternatives to farming. Um, but the point is we're going to be here. And so, um, you know, we're just going to patiently give everything a crack and see how we go. And, but it was that also was kind of like quite a lesson to me, I think, about um, if you think that you're going to be in a place for a long time then, you know, you've, you're actually in a better position to make um, some wise decisions as opposed to sort of like this emergency yes. thing of rushing around.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what, again, we may see differences between us and our um, non maori whanaunga, our, our brothers and sisters of our non maori whanau, is that Maori values are different in, in business as well. So, or you know, and how we, uh, one of my, Real interests as we move forward with Hikiti Maoritanga is to get feedback from our Māori community, business communities um, on the ground. What, what are the things that can, are concerning uh, Māori, but also what mm. are the what are the models that are really great? Right, you know, like like I'm generalising here, but I would assume it's around whānau first, it's around family first, yes, it's around values of sticking to your beliefs and your um, tikanga or things that are. Important, um, important to important you, to you yeah, as Marty, yeah. and then from that the business flows.
0: And I think it feels like a much oh, sorry, I'm interrupting, no, but right. it, it feels like a much more sound way to grow a business. You know, a patient, yeah, business, not living kind of quarter by quarter. Oh, a, and
1: there's, hmm. but there's still guys who are doing stuff at pace, but they but they stick to those values in the in the beginning and right. say like, this is where yeah. I'm anchored, and my family or my values will pull me back into line mm. because if I step outside of it or I go too quickly, there's checks and balances through right. that. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's I'm hoping to to bring out as we go as we move forward and um, hopefully hold some wananga with our communities mm-hmm. to um, really draw out those shared learnings, those benchmarks, those what models are what are great for our people that um, we can share with the rest of, yeah, of our to say
0: not just not just Māori, but, you know, yeah. I think everyone can benefit yeah, exactly. from this kind of thinking, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I I was just in Northland um, a few days ago and, uh, you know, there's a lot of poverty up there and people are doing it really tough. But they're determined, you know, they're determined to come come back to their whenua and say, no, this is where I stand. And from there, it feels like you could actually grow something quite sustainable and the the interesting, the real insight for me was you can't do ecological restoration without the people. Absolutely. You know, they actually, I mean, practically you need people to fence and plant and, you know, pest um, control and so on. It actually starts with people and you've got these remote communities. Um, Actually, the people there are the key to unlocking all that restoration potential. Yeah. So I think the... That's right. You start with the hapū, you start with the whānau.
1: You bring it back to those old values that we've had, how we lived in those old days was, yeah, as a whānau, as a hapū, um, which we then, um, you know, it it revolved around the
0: family. And, um,
1: yeah, I think that's what's um,
0: key for us. Is it interesting to you that um, some of the language around regenerative business, which is now kind of, you know, you, if you read sort of international literature, it's all it's all around you know regenerative models. Mm. It looks familiar, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, and that you know, if we talk about re- regenerative um, models and thinking, um, and that's kind of what we've been we've been doing. And um, uh, there's some great initiatives that we have in, in Tamil Um Well, not initiatives, but like concepts. Like rahui is a good one. Like where mm-hmm. there's a. Um, Um, a no-go area if there's some issues around the the food stocks or if there's disease on the kauri trees in the Waunui or Tiriwa or the Waitakere Ranges. Mm. um, They're they're put in place as a a way to um, regenerate Mm. um, and as a way to say, hey, um, that's not working. We're we're, we're actually depleting everything here. We need to move or we need to say "No, no more taking Let's move it, um, let's move over here, um, and then we'll come back to that when it's regenerated. So, like, there's kind of just basic but wisdom, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, like,
0: sensible, sensible yeah. wisdom. Um, I really like the um, this beautiful video that you've shot. Um, I don't know if you shot it, but someone's made this gorgeous video of Artia and with Tamatuki, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I would kind of a connect. Combination
0: of uh, us and and other footage, but yes, yep, yeah. Um, and well, his, I interviewed him. Yes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's a he's a great, um, very articulate, passionate young guy. Everybody looks young to me these days. Actually, <laughs> I don't know how old he is. But what is what's the story? What's he up to? He he's a fascinating guy, and a um, he
1: is running um, a company called Aotea Health, which is Aotea Great Barrier was where he grew up. It's where he's from, his iwi um, is Ngāti Rehia, which is um, over there on Aotea. And he grew up with his grandmother learning about rongoa or Māori um, medicinal plants mm-hmm. over there and on Aotea, an island just off Auckland. So, um, or called Great Barrier Island to others. Yeah. Um, yeah And, he, you know, the is He's also got another business called Alteo Energy, which is trying to create an energy, um, off-grid energy source for people on Altio For was far mm-hmm. in the beginning because mm-hmm. it's sort of a, a pilot um, to share energy to uh, alleviate energy poverty, but also to alleviate the use of
0: um, diesel generators and yeah. things like that. So yeah.
1: he, he's very, very switched. He on. just looked like, <laughs> like the,
0: you know, like the Renaissance man. Yeah, is, yeah. Like he's is doing electronics and doing power systems, yeah. but also- Trying to get a hold
1: of the guy, There's another story,
0: <laughs> Tama. Um, but yeah, listening. no, so,
1: but what I learned, what the greatest bit I, I pulled out of that conversation I had with Tama was that he actually didn't even know that he was practicing Dunga. He, and it wasn't a word that ever really came into his vocabulary. Right, I don't think he yeah. just was living it. Mm. He was living that that life of of absorbing information from his his grandmother around medicinal plants from a Maori perspective, mm. and he knew he knows the different trees. He knows that when they're flowering, he knows all the signals in the environment um, mm. and what they're used for and how they're used. and um, And I think that's just a gem of a, a story. And, yeah. and and he. And generous, like it, yeah. You know, like
0: his whole vision around the power system. yeah. What was. Let's, Creating let's, let's,
1: scholarships let's, for kids on the island, yeah. And, you know, you would, let's let's
0: start with the people that need it, not the yeah. not the rich people who can afford to pay. So you see yeah.
1: how that model is slightly different to what we're talking about. What we were just talking about before actually is around the far first, around the community first, mm. around the sharing, around the turning to tikanga, turning
0: to um, indigenous models of thinking. You know, I think, yeah. and
1: I think that's what he
0: he's an, an exemplar of that. He totally is. Uh, yeah, great. Uh, there was. Um, I really encourage people to watch. I'll put the link on in the show notes, actually. But there was. A, there's a moment you must have. As a filmmaker, you must have just loved this moment. He was talking, and behind him was a some Kiki. <laughs> and that Tui just flies off. Oh. Magic show. I watched it about four times. It was just like, man, how you couldn't organise that. <laughs> I can't take any credit for that, but, um, yeah, it's a great part of the video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm um, really looking forward to you. Are you doing more videos in that series? Yeah, that's
1: the aim. Um, we're looking to get more business case studies, yeah. um, more um, – people Māori doing exceptional things that we can share, share with yeah. the world.
0: Yeah. Great. Well, they're really easy to find. They're on YouTube. You know, just look up um, Cornell or... Um, Climate Connect Climate Aotearoa. Connect Aotearoa. And how do we engage with you? You know, if we've got if we the ways that we want to connect, how do we do that?
1: Yeah, you can come onto our website, um, climateconnectnz.com. Um, we've got lots of information on there. We've got our page on Hekete Matauranga. It's not just for Māori um, we have... Heaps of other information on uh, case studies, research pieces, links to other people working in the climate space. Yeah. Um, and you can sign up for the newsletter if you want as well. Um, and you can just get in touch via the website. Uh, if you want to talk about anything around Hekete Matauranga or Māori knowledge systems, um, just put my
0: name in the subject line and yeah, we'll, we'll come, I'll come back to you. We'll, we'll, you'll find us and we'll find you. Hey, it was lovely talking to you. Um, thanks so much. No, thank you very much. Namahi nui ki a koe. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka